Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Around the same time, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the operational commander of 9-11, and his successor, Abu Faraj al-Libi, who was also captured in 2005, both said that Abu Ahmed al-Kuwaiti wasn't important or, or had retired from al-Qaeda, which is an unusual kind of, not many people usually retire from the group. But um, so, and of course that made Abu Ahmed al-Kuwaiti of more interest to the agency because at the end of the day, they knew that he was a player in al-Qaeda. The fact that KSM, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and his successor were sort of waving them away kind of increased their interest in this guy. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. Here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? You didn't know this kid, okay? We did. They're looking for help. We call BS. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved. And their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public public Access Access America. America. Now, in 2007, the agency found out the real name of the courier. And the real name of the courier was Ibrahim Saeed. And he wasn't Kuwaiti, he was a Pakistani whose father, who had emigrated to Kuwait, and like a lot of Pakistanis, were sort of second-class citizens in Kuwait, could never get citizenship. Um, and so this made him particularly interesting to al-Qaeda's leadership because he'd grown up in Kuwait, spoke, spoke Arabic fluently. He also came from the northwest frontier province in, Af- in, in Pakistan, which, of course, is where al-Qaeda was then you know, headquartered uh, and was a Pashtun and could speak the local languages and blend in. So he was, in a sense, the perfect courier for bin Laden. Um, and he also had known he'd been part of al-Qaeda since in, in the pre-9-11 time period and was somebody they trusted completely. So in 2007, 
It's not exactly clear how, but I think the Pakistanis gave the name to the agency, and I could never really nail this down. Um, they had a real name, Ibrahim Saeed, but again, this is sort of a John Smith name. It's not an alias, but it's a lot of, you know, 180 million people in Pakistan, twice the size of California. It's still a long way from finding bin Laden. And then, and I, there are parts of this story that I don't know that we're going to keep finding out about. In 2010, Ibrahim Saeed, the courier, Abu Ahmed al-Kuwaiti, made a phone call to somebody in the Gulf uh, saying, you know, how are you? And the person in the Gulf said, are you with the people that you used to be with? And there was sort of a pregnant pause, and he said, yes. And then, and that was the sum total of the conversation. That conversation, which NSA or National Security Agency was listening to, and it's not clear if they were listening to Saeed or the guy in the Gulf or both or what prompted their interest in this call, um, kind of confirmed to the agency a couple of things that were very important. It confirmed to them something they weren't sure about, which is they, they weren't completely sure that this guy was still in Al-Qaeda. And this phone call seemed to indicate that he was. Secondly, it, um, they were able to geolocate this phone call to Peshawar, Pakistan, which is a city of several million people in Western Pakistan. But the courier was practicing very careful operational security. Not only was he turning his phone off an hour away from where he lived, he was also taking the battery out. So um, you really can't track a phone with the battery out. And so Peshawar is two and a half hours drive from Abdabad, where bin Laden was living. Um, and so at a certain point, the agency put people on the ground uh, to follow this guy or put a tracking device on his, on his vehicle when they could locate it in Peshawar, Pakistan. And eventually, it led them back to this relatively small Pakistani city of Abdabad, which is about 4,000 feet above sea level. It's sort of a retirement community for retired Pakistani military officers. It's, as you know, the site of Pakistan's West Point, the Pakistan Military Academy. It is a... Um, quite a pleasant place. It has a very nice golf course. Uh, it has views of the mountains. Kind of feels, looks, looks a little bit like Bavaria, perhaps, with, uh, if you kind of squint a little. And, uh, and, um, and it's sort of a tourist destination. I mean, you know, and it, people stop off there on their way up to the Karakom Highway to China. Um, it's a tourist destination for Pakistanis escaping, you know, the kind of heaving hot summer... Uh, Pakistani cities like Karachi or other cities. And in fact, when um, Leon Panetta goes, the CIA director goes to the, uh, the, the Oval Office to brief President Obama about this, um, he, he, he describes it basically a little bit like a retirement community in Virginia uh, to the president, so 30 miles outside. Um, and uh, outside the capital. So in August 2010, Panetta briefs president, he briefs the vice president, uh, John Brennan, uh, Dennis McDonough, who's now the chief of staff, and uh, Tom Donnellan, the national security advisor. And this is a very small group of people. <clears throat> and basically he says, you know, we think we have this lead on, on bin Laden in, in Abdabad, but it's a, you know, it's a circumstantial lead. Uh, there's a circumstantial case he's there. There's no evidence. And people are not high-fiving at all at this point because, if you recall, just a few months earlier, uh, arguably one of the biggest CIA 
you know, kind of failures that happened in host in eastern Afghanistan where the best lead they'd ever had on Ayman al-Zawari, now the leader of al-Qaeda, turned out to be a uh, Jordanian double agent who wasn't working to expose Ayman al-Zawari. He was being, being recruited by al-Qaeda and conducted a suicide operation in host which killed seven CIA employees and contractors on December 30th, 2009. And so people were well aware when Panetta came with this information that other lead, promising leads had ended very poorly or just simply not panned out. I mean, there was so many times, you know, the agency in, in, the, in the initial years had lots of Elvis sightings, which they had to sort of, uh, you know, follow up. And uh, there was, a, you know, every time a story popped up about bin Laden, it had to be sort of chased down. But over time, the agency became more and more convinced that he was living in Pakistan, that he hadn't gone to Yemen or some other country. And here was Panetta explaining <clears throat> the case about why bin Laden was living in Abtabad, which was really the case about the courier that I've already laid out. So that, became, that began a period of sort of intense focus on this compound and who was living there and, and who, and you know, as time went on, the more and more information about the pattern of life of this, of the occupants of the compound came out. There were three families living there. The third family, uh, there was a, a man who didn't take, uh, who didn't go out, uh, who they nicknamed the Pacer because he would take these uh, quick walks around the garden under the tarpaulin. Um, and it seemed to correspond with what they knew about bin Laden, the number of wives, the number of kids. They did things like observe how many female and male undergarments were on washing lines to get a sense of who was living in the compound. Um, they faced a problem about, they couldn't, do very aggressive surveillance or, or knocking on the door of the compound. They didn't want to spook the inhabitants. Uh, Panetta was, uh, kept pushing for better information. At one point, Jeremy Bash, his chief of staff, went to the bin Laden unit at CIA and said, you have to convince the boss you're doing absolutely everything in your power to you know, get inside the compound in some way. Miss an episode of Public Access America? Download the SoundCloud app now on your Android or iPhone device to catch up. Come up with 25 ideas. If some of them are wacky, yeah, it's fine. But just convince them you're being creative. And they came up with a number of ideas, some of which clearly were more creative than others. And one of the ideas was, was to broadcast in Arabic the voice of Allah, um, sort of demanding that the occupants of the compound come out. <laughs> and uh, playing on the presumed religious fanaticism of the inhabitants of the compound. Another idea was the, you know, a very simple one was to throw a stink bomb into the compound and just get people out that way. Those ideas, of course, didn't happen. But one of the creative ideas, creative but certainly ethically dubious, was to mount a, a sort of uh, false flag vaccination program in Abtabad that would get the DNA of the, of the bin Laden kids. Um, as you know, this is a very sensitive issue in Pakistan. We've had multiple, multiple polio workers who've been killed recently uh, because of the, the, the kind of religious fundamentalist view that this is sort of a CIA plot. So unfortunately, this idea uh, kind of played into a lot of uh, kind of Pakistani kind of conspiracy theories. Um, and in fact, it never got the DNA of the kids. I mean, what happened with the, the doctor who was recruited, Dr. Afridi, he started, he recruited some nurses he then started a vaccination drive in one of the poorer parts of Abdabad in order not to sort of to give this a backstory that seemed plausible rather than starting immediately in Abdabad. Uh, but they never, they never were able to get people inside the compound to come out and, and give uh, 
take the vaccination and acquire the DNA for a potential DNA match with bin Laden DNA held by the um, US government. So CIA, uh, you know, was Panetta kept pushing, we need to improve the intelligence picture, and, and, and it, it didn't really improve. Um, it, there was a certain level at which it remained steady, and at a certain point, President Obama, probably by January of 2011, uh, began to sort of move on from the question of, <clears throat> are we going to get better intelligence to what do we need to do about this uh, place? And basically, there were four or five options uh, that were considered. <clears throat> at this point, uh, there were three people at the Pentagon who knew about this, Admiral Mullen, uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, James Cartwright, the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, and Mike Vickers, who's the civilian overseer of special operations, now the civilian, the lead intelligence official of the Pentagon. At a certain point, he brought Michel Flournoy, who was the undersecretary for policy in, because as they began thinking about planning, one of the big things they had to think about was, what are we gonna do with the Pakistanis? Are we gonna tell them? Uh, how are we gonna deal with this? And uh, Flournoy, and also, by the way, parenthetically, you know, if this all goes sort of, if this, is a, if this is a disaster, we need to be thinking very carefully about how we supply our troops in Afghanistan. Almost all our materiel at that point transited by ground or by air uh, through Pakistani ground or Pakistani airspace. And so very quietly, they began developing a so-called Northern Distribution Network, which basically brought materiel in from the former, the Central Asian states, the former Soviet Union, and it's a much longer route. Uh, but basically they wanted, and I know there were sound reasons they could publicly save it, but you know, we want to like, you know, spread our, you know, spread our bets here essentially. But the main, the real reason, which was known to Robert Gates and, and Michel Flournoy and, and the handful of people who knew what was going on, uh, was that uh, they needed a plan in case the Pakistanis closed down all these routes uh, if the bin Laden raid sort of went wrong in some way. Um, so the Pentagon, Vickers calls uh, Admiral Bill McRaven, the head of Joint Special Operations Command in Afghanistan, tells him to come to the Washington. Says, uh, we need to tell you something. They tell him what they know at the CIA, and they show him the compound, uh, the model of the compound that is uh, that the National Geospatial Imagery uh, Agency very kindly has brought here. And um, McRaven looked at the compound, and the you know he didn't say what he was thinking, which is, if the plan is to bomb this place, that's going to be a pretty big operation. I mean, this is an acre, a compound that stretches over an acre. Public Access America is on Instagram, sharing sneak peeks, episode art, snippets of the stories, and more. Search Big Brain Pod and follow, like, and comment on Instagram. And so one of the first options they considered was a B-2 bombing raid. Well, when they did the math, it would have been 32 500-pound bombs. James Cartwright, the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs, pointed out that would be like having a small earthquake in a you know, sizable Pakistani city. And it came freighted with all sorts of problems. You couldn't even prove to yourself that you'd got bin Laden because the DNA and everything else would evaporate. There'd be no in intelligence collection. You'd be bombing an ally. There would certainly be civilian casualties, not in the compound, but in surrounding areas. And it would have just been, it, that was quickly sort of dismissed as a bad idea. Another idea was a joint operation with the Pakistanis. Now, there had been those in the past. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the operational commander of 9-11, was arrested in Royal Pindi. It was a joint operation between the CIA and ISI and, and the PAC-MIL. Um, and, um, you know, that, that went pretty well. 
Uh, but of course, relations with the Pakistanis were at an old, you know, basically at an all-time low. You recall that Raymond Davis, a CIA contractor, had killed two Pakistanis in broad daylight in Lahore, who he said were robbing him. And uh, the U.S. government, including the president, said all sorts of false things about who this guy was. It was pretty obvious that this was not a conventional diplomat who, you know, was like this very bulked-up guy who shot two people in the street. And uh, and over time, the U.S. government had to admit that actually, yes, he was a CIA contractor. Uh, well, this played into every kind of conspiracy theory and, in fact, uh, well-founded uh, fear in Pakistan that their country was awash with CIA spies. And um, <clears throat> then, of course, the drone program, uh, which was at, at its height in, in 2010. There were 122 drone strikes, the most that have, that have been in, anywhere um, by the CIA. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek security we support you yes we can and to all those who have wondered if america's beacon still burns as bright tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth but from the enduring power of our ideals democracy liberty opportunity and unyielding hope let me tell you something you already know the world ain't all sunshine and rainbow it's a very mean and nasty and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, you and nobody, nobody gonna hit as hard as fight. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you get. It's about how hard you get. And keep moving forward. How much you can take it. And keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Yes, we can. I wanted to run out of that tunnel. For my dad. To prove to everyone what? Public Access America. Yes, we can. On SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and now Facebook. Public Access Public America. Access America. History, in the, history in the making. 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 History in history the making. In the making. Public Access America is waiting for you on the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Download the app for free and subscribe to Public Access America to get more episodes like this in your feed every day. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.